money, deals, tribal knowledge, resources, training, coaching, partnering. We are Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. My name is Shanoa Grove. Welcome to the show. Alrighty, everybody, we're going to go ahead and uh, get our meeting started. So welcome to the uh, RIA. Um, I'm Phil Grove. I'm going to be getting us started tonight. And uh, this is actually, I guess, what you could call our early discussion. So our regular meeting will be starting shortly. We're still waiting for people to kind of come on in and, and, and uh, get registered and, and uh, get seated. But as we're kind of getting warmed up, uh, I was going to get to know you guys a little better. And um, why don't we start by asking a simple question. Is anybody here looking at a deal? Anybody looking at a deal? Well, uh, we are this RIA's Real Estate Investor Association. So that's what we do. And uh, we've been around since 2003, so 20 years now. Um, 100,000 members, participants, attendees uh, with chapters in Austin, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. And uh, for 20 years, we've been helping people learn about real estate, network, raise money, put together power teams, invest in syndications, residential, commercial, you name it. Uh, we've got people in this huge network that do all of that stuff. And uh, as we're kind of getting warmed up and, and waiting for people to, uh, to get here, uh, why don't I walk around the room a little bit and ask some of you guys what uh, what you're here to do? I'm going to pick on you. Uh, you're sitting right up in the front row. What are you out here to do tonight? What are you What are you looking to learn? One. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't know. I I've, I've owned rental properties for 20 years now, and I I haven't talked to a tenant or. Uh, even been to one of my rental properties in over a decade. I, you know, I, I, I mean, when I'm managing properties, I'm, uh, it's not a good use of my time, right? The best use of my time is going finding deals, right? When I'm finding deals, I'm making myself 5,000 an hour. When I'm managing properties, I'm saving myself $20 an hour. So it's like, do I want to make 5,000 or save 20, right? And, and um, so we always tell you that that's probably related to, you know, in, unless you have like, a hundred properties and you're a full-time property manager and you're really determined to really get good at it, then you're probably never going to get great at it. I never got good at it. I tried a little bit and I quickly figured out this is not a good thing. So, um, but uh, so you had some tenants, they weren't a great experience and then you kind of went and did something else for a while. Now you're kind of getting back into it. Okay. And what would you say your goal is? Is it to replace your income? Is it maybe to supplement your income? more passive, more active, what, what would you say you're mostly interested in? So we're going to talk a lot tonight about how to find the deals. We buy all off-market real estate. You know, the MLS is the on-market real estate, so that's not uh, discounted, but we're going to show you some ways to find discounted real estate. And then, like you said, find the properties and also create passive. So you want to do some combination of fix and flip and then buy and hold. Is that like the combination? Cool. Yeah, that's cool. What do you do now? I'm an electrical engineer. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of known as the Pied Piper for tell, telling IT people and, and engineers how to get into real estate in Texas. So I guess I, I'm kind of a left-brainer, similar background, and, and um, I develop a lot of systems and uh, I'm very methodical in kind of my approach. 
Um, but it sounds like a plan. Um, start flipping some properties, supplement your income when you're ready, maybe stop doing the IT thing and start doing the real estate thing. And uh, we call that building a bridge. Um, my experience is that if you can dedicate 10 to 15 hours a week to a side hustle of real estate investing, uh, within some reasonable amount of time, you should be able to replace your income and then cross the bridge, right? And uh, start the, 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 the real estate thing. Um, everybody crosses at a different time. Some people, as soon as they feel comfortable, like I got this, you know, I can repeat this. Uh, but even the hardcore people who say, oh, I'm just gonna supplement my income and, and, and not quit my job. When they get the six figure month, they quit their job. So <laughs> that's, that's my experience. Well, thank you for, for sharing. Um, we're just kind of getting warmed up here, guys. So uh, welcome to the RIA. What brings you out tonight, Jason? Okay, where are you now? Utah, okay. And uh, so you're looking to move to Texas. Okay, are you investing in Utah? So it's just a, a, a passive remote, uh, you know, uh, deal. Okay, um, we know some people in Memphis that, uh, that, that, that put those deals together, so uh, great. And, and you're looking to maybe move to Dallas and, and do the realtor thing or the real estate investor thing or both or who knows Probably what? Both. Probably both. And why Dallas, just out of curiosity. No idea. Well, I would say of all the picks, you probably picked pretty well. Um, I invest in Austin, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. And if I were to just pick one, like what's the best market to get started investing in real estate, I would say Dallas. Uh, Houston, number two. Um, Dallas has all kinds of things going for it. And I, and I have literally students all over the state have been teaching this stuff for 20 years. For some reason, I don't 100% know why, but the, the people that start in Dallas tend to get a little further, a little faster than anybody else. And obviously Dallas is a big market, so that's huge. Um, it's got kind of the right mix of demographics. Dallas also has uh, Fort Worth next door. And that's kind of cool because Fort Worth is Dallas, you know, only two thirds of price, right? It's, it's, it's kind of Dallas discount. And it's a little different, but it's close enough that it, you, know, you, can, you can kind of invest in both and it's, it's not that hard to, uh, to do both. But I think the biggest advantage Dallas has is just so big, right? I mean, it's just everything here, high end, low end, medium, uh, South Dallas, Fort Worth. I mean, you got everything within a rock throw in one direction or another. Um, for some reason, Dallas has always been kind of the bellwether of Texas. If you wanna know kind of what the rest of Texas is gonna do, you kind of look at Dallas and it's always been a few months ahead market-wise in terms of trends, up, down, or whatever. And I've never figured out why, but we've been tracking this for 20 years and that's always been uh, the case. Um, I got a bunch of market data I'm gonna go through shortly. Last month, I haven't looked at this month yet, but last month, Dallas was starting to turn up again, which was kind of interesting. Any questions or anything as you're getting started here? Too, too many to bring up. Too many to bring up? No problem. Well, folks, we're uh, getting warmed up here. Um, our regular meeting will start shortly. Uh, is anybody looking at a deal? Just curious if anybody is looking at buying a house. Nobody's looking at buying a house, okay. You're looking at buying a house. What are you looking at? Share with us if you don't mind. What's that? You're not sure? Okay, but have you found a house you're looking at? Okay, can you tell us anything about the house? It's in McKinney. What are you thinking of doing with it? Are you buying it to hold and rent? Or are you buying it to fix and flip? Or what are, you, what are you thinking you might do with it? Flip it. Okay. 
so you would potentially do a fix and flip with the property, okay? Um, do you know if it's, is it, does it need to be repaired, renovated, updated? A little bit, okay. Is it listed for sale on market or off market? For sale, like listed in the MLS with a realtor? Okay, um, okay. Um, let's see. The last time I found a house on the MLS that I got at a big enough discount to make it a deal was, um, I don't buy houses on the MLS. Um, there's nothing wrong with the MLS. It's, it's a great, it's the candy store for real estate. But um, as a general rule, if it's listed in the MLS, everybody's looking at it. And, 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 and the way to think about that is all the people in the world are competing with each other to see who will pay the most. And that's the definition of the retail marketplace. To buy a property at enough of a discount to do a fix and flip and make a profit, the quick and dirty rule is you would want to pay no more than 70% of the market value minus the cost of repairs. That's just the quick and dirty formula. So let's say the fixed up value of this house is $100,000. So after it's all fixed up, just for a nice round number, let's say it would be worth 100,000, and then let's say it needs $20,000 in repairs. If I were gonna buy that house to do a fix and flip, I would pay no more than 70% of 100, that's 70,000 minus repairs minus 20 equals 50,000. 50,000 would be my maximum offer for that property. Because when you buy a house and then fix it and flip it again, there's all kinds of expenses. There's closing costs on the buy, and then there's insurance on a vacant house is four times the cost of normal insurance. Then there's some utilities that you're paying. Uh, then there's the cost of money. Uh, and then there's the closing costs on the sale and the title insurance, the prorated taxes, and the commission on the buyer side, commission on the seller side. When you add all that stuff up, and these are quick and dirty numbers, like just kind of approximate numbers, but when you add up all the overhead of just buying, holding, and or fixing and selling again, just the flipping part, just the buy, hold, cost of money is typically about 15% of the price of the property. So if you bought a property at a 30% discount, okay, 70% of the ARV, after repair value, fixed up value minus repairs, if you bought it at a 30% discount and your overhead is 15%, then whatever profit you would make would be the other 15%. So if you're buying at a 30% discount before the cost of repairs, you're gonna have about 15% overhead and about 15% profit. And this is just quick and dirty numbers. It's extraordinarily rare that I would find a property listed on the MLS that has that much discount. On the MLS, a property that has a 10 to 20% discount would be considered a really good deal. A property that has a 30% discount would be almost impossible, it's a unicorn, right? And the reason is because there's so many people shopping on the MLS that almost certainly somebody's going to buy it for more than 30% discount. So that's why I rarely buy properties on the MLS. I'm thrilled that you're looking at properties. If you can get this one at the right price, go for it, right? And always just make an offer of what it's worth to you. Don't worry about what they're asking. It doesn't matter what they're asking. You know, people in hell want iced tea. They can ask, right? You know, and, and, and you can choose to give them whatever you want or make an offer that makes sense to you. So just calculate, you know, what the after repair is, calculate what the repairs are, calculate 70% ARV minus repairs, just make them an offer and see what happens. 
you know, odds are they'll say no or no way or maybe or who knows what. And if you get it under contract, great. Do your due diligence, decide if you want to keep it. The other beautiful thing about getting properties in contract, uh, under contract in Texas is there's always an option period, which means there's a period of time during which you, the buyer, can choose to just terminate the contract, rip it up, walk away, no harm, no foul, no penalty, no risk. So there's no risk in making an offer and there's no risk in even getting an offer accepted because you still have a period of time during which to decide whether you want it or not, right? And, and experienced investors have kind of the ready, fire, aim attitude, right? Where the, where the new investors kind of have the ready, aim, aim, fire. So the experienced investors getting under contract while the, while the rookie investors are aiming, right? Trying to figure out if they want to get it under contract. And then after you get it under contract, then you decide, do you want it or not? So, um, but those are some just general advice uh, you know, but I'm thrilled that you're obviously looking at deals and, and starting to get out there and, and, and find stuff. Um, what are you hoping to accomplish? What, why, why are you doing it? Are you looking to supplement your income or replace your income? Or what, what do you think a real estate could do for you? What, are you? what are you hoping to get out of it? So you learn and see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, that's perfectly fair. You know, what I like about real estate is there's so many possibilities. You can buy and hold, you can fix and flip, you can do passive, you can do active, you can do commercial, you can do residential, and they're all wonderful, right? And, and, and I actually do all of them. I do passive, active, residential, commercial, I love them all. There's not any one that's any better or worse than any others. They just, to me, when I ask somebody like, what are you trying to do, right? What I'm really asking is like, what problem are you trying to solve? Um, because real estate can do all of that stuff. Like if somebody tells me, well, my goal is I have a pile of money and I wanna make money with my money, right? I wanna do something other than the stock market. I wanna get something maybe better than the stock market. I would say you should passively invest in commercial syndications because on average it's twice the return of the stock market with half the risk. And once people learn that, they never go back to the stock market. It's a one-way street. So like financial planners, right, financial advisors, uh, if you ever ask them, what do you think of real estate? They're always, oh, you don't want real estate, that's a really bad idea. They hate real estate with a passion. And the reason they hate real estate is because every time their clients figure out about real estate, they lose the client. You know, they like investing on, on, on stocks and mutual funds and, and funds, that's, they, they make money forever right, as long as they keep them in the fold. But as soon as the client starts learning about real estate, the client's gone. So they're like, oh, you don't want real estate, that's bad, real estate bad, right? They don't understand, they don't get any commissions or anything uh, from that. But going back to like, you know, active passive commercial residential, if you told me I have a pile of money, I wanna make money with my money, I'm saying you should be investing in commercial syndications. If you said, I wanna quit my job, uh, I'm, I'm tired of what I'm doing. I want to do something different. I want to make a, a six-figure income, you know, doing something real estate, right? I'd say flip houses, absolutely. Fastest way to replace an income uh, with a six-figure income is go flip houses. And there's all kinds of ways to do this. Like, you know, we have a dozen different strategies for, for flipping houses, okay? If you said, my real goal is to um, build wealth. I want to build wealth. I want to, when I'm, by the time I'm retired, I want to be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. I'm going to say buy rental properties. Buy rental properties. Uh, and everybody should buy rental properties. In my opinion, everybody should buy rental properties because it's like the most amazing thing in the world. You have tenants that are paying off the debt on appreciating assets, okay? And people think rental properties are all about cash flow. 
it, it's not about cash flow. That, that's the lie and the myth. You know, I, I've been buying rental properties for 20 years. I now own $30 million worth of houses in Texas. So I got a lot of rental properties, but they really don't generate that much cash flow. But what they did is they made me wealthy because over the last 20 years, those properties have doubled in value and doubled in value and doubled in value and the tenants paid them all off, right? And, and, and now I owe, you know, the total mortgage on that, that $30 million portfolio is less than $5 million. So, I, so, so my wealth grew by $25 million. You know, thank you a bunch of tenants that paid off all those mortgages, right? I got a little cash flow out of it along the way. But, you know, a lot of my wealth today came from decisions I made 20 years ago, right? Just collecting rental properties. And if I could go back, I would have bought them all. I, I wish I had bought even more rental properties. That's like my single biggest regret, right? And it's kind of like, when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago, <laughs> 20 years ago. When's the next best time to plant a tree? That would be now, right? You can't go back, but you can do anything you want now, right? Now, if you said, I wanna do the big deals, I wanna, I wanna make million, I wanna do million dollar flips, million dollar flips, I wanna make a million dollars flip, yeah, flip commercial, do commercial syndication, sponsor them actively, right? Um, and yeah, you can make million dollars a flip, easy, right? Well, not easy, but I mean, you can do that, right? But commercial flips typically take at least three to five years. So yeah, it's big money, but it's not fast money. So commercial, residential, active, passive, they're all good, right? They all, they, they're, they're all great ideas and I love them all, I do them all, but to me, each one of these things just solves different problems, right? And, and when I ask somebody like, what are you trying to do, right? It's like, I'm trying to figure out like which one of those uh, activities would be the best fit for whatever your goal is. Fair enough? Okay, well guys, again, we're just getting warmed up here and I keep looking at the clock here. We're gonna start our regular meeting shortly. But in the meantime, I'm kind of walking around the room a little bit, getting to know you guys and uh, seeing who we got here. My name is uh, Phil Grove. I'm one of the founders of the Texas RIAs, the largest by far network of real estate investor associations uh, across the great state of Texas uh, with chapters in Austin, Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio. And we got lots of people here tonight. Uh, what brings you out tonight, Hector? Wholesaling. Okay, let's talk about that. So wholesaling is one of about a dozen different strategies I use uh, in the residential side. Just out of curiosity, why are you interested in wholesaling? What are you? What are you? What? What? What is interesting about that particular strategy? Well, um, I would describe wholesaling. Nothing wrong with wholesaling. I do wholesaling, uh, but I do a lot of other strategies as well as wholesaling. And um, of all the strategies that I use, it's the easiest one to teach. Uh, it's pretty this pretty simple concept. I'm gonna review it a little bit uh, tonight. Um, the one thing I'm not thrilled about with wholesaling is I would say of the 12 different strategies I use, it's the hardest one to do that on average makes the least amount of money for the amount of work. So um, I would say there's nothing wrong with wholesaling, do wholesaling, but do them all. Do a bunch of strategies, right? Don't, don't limit yourself to wholesaling. Like for example, uh, how many of you have read the book, The Millionaire Wholesaler? That's because it's never been written, okay? <laughs> and it never will, right? Because it's a lot of work and you can make money wholesaling, don't get me wrong, but you know, it's a lot of work per dollar generated of profit. That's, that's my reaction to it. 
so when I see somebody and they say, I want to get started wholesaling, the way my brain kind of translates that plan is I'm going to do the hardest thing there is to do that makes some least amount of money. And then I realized from my experience that a lot of people that kind of go down that road end up giving up before they give, get, get going. Because if you're doing a lot of work and it, you're not making a lot of money, then you're probably going to give up before you get going. So great, do wholesaling, but do a bunch of other strategies as well. You have a question in the back? Uh, I would do wraparound mortgages. I would do mortgage assignments. I would do short sales. I would do fix and flips. I would partner on fix and flips. Uh, you know, I would do equity partnering. Another question? Well, I would say if, if you have a great deal, like a wholesale deal, why give it to somebody else? Why not do it yourself, right? Yeah, that's my whole point. So you're doing the hard work. You know, the hardest thing is finding the deal. You find the deal, it's a great deal. Now a wholesaler might say, oh, I don't have any money. And I would say, great, partner with somebody with money, right? And then split the profits, right? You're gonna make a lot more money by splitting the profits on a fiction flip than, than just giving the wholesale deal to somebody else who makes the big money doing the fiction flip. So, so that's what I'm saying. Nothing wrong with wholesaling, but you know, think of it as part of an overall set of strategies uh, and learn them all, right? I don't know, why not learn all the different ways to fill out a contract and do a deal? I think it's ingenious to partner people. Of course, yeah, why not partner? I partner on almost all of my deals. And the reason I partner is it scales you up. Right? I mean, sometimes you have money, sometimes you don't have money. Nobody has enough money, right? I mean, no matter how much money you have, not enough. You got half a million dollars in your checking account, great, good, good for you, go buy a house. Okay, now you're done. Yep, that was it. <laughs> you can't buy another house, so you sell that house, right? So, so sometimes you have money or maybe you don't have money. Great, partner with money. Sometimes you're not where the deal is. If you're not where the deal is, you need trusted boots on the ground where the deal is. So partner with somebody where the deal is. Uh, sometimes you have a power team, you don't have a power team. Uh, you have that experience or knowledge, you don't have that experience or knowledge. If you partner, it scales you up because what are you gonna make more of? Doing 100% of five deals or 50% of a thousand deals, right? And I figured out a long time ago, and that's kind of why I'm here tonight, I can make a lot more money, I don't mean a little more money, I mean a lot more money getting 50% of a thousand deals than 100% of five deals. So I'm a huge advocate of partnering, uh, both residential and commercial, active, passive, it's, it's all good. So yeah, absolutely. Great. You want to be the one who's getting them under contract or managing them? The man, you're, you want to be hands-on managing the project? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, so you want to be swinging hammers and managing contractors and getting your hands dirty and do that? Okay. Ah, uh, you know, there's a couple of comments I will make on that. What's that? Okay, I don't wanna, I, 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 I hope to not say anything the wrong way. I mean, first of all, as a general rule, um, I often categorize people as either hunters or skinners. Hunters are good at getting stuff under contract. Skinners are good at kind of managing the project after it gets started. And I always say, you got a hunter, let them hunt. You got a skinner, let them skin. You put a hunter and a skinner together, man, they could make all kinds of money together and both, both, both do what they do best. So, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, where you and I may disagree is you said, well, I like kind of getting my hands dirty, swinging hammers, you know. Okay, so not you. Okay, so you have contractors you work with, that's great. So, you know, I gotta say, swinging hammers, I don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings, but we call that a minimum wage activity. And, you know, if you're swinging hammers, 
you're not making money. You're saving a little money, but you're not making money. You know, when you're negotiating to get properties under contract, you're making money. So when I'm negotiating, I'm making 5,000 an hour. If I'm in a Home Depot, I'm saving $20 an hour. And I gotta tell you, I know this offends people, but I mean, if you're ever walking through a Home Depot, something seriously has gone wrong. Okay, I'm sorry. There's nothing you can do in a Home Depot that is not a minimum wage activity, okay? Contractors are really good at picking paint colors and ceiling fans and all that, so let them do that, right? And, and the, the difference between a great ceiling fan and a terrible ceiling fan is not gonna make any difference uh, in the property. So I would say I don't want you in a Home Depot. It sounds like you're not in a Home Depot, but you know some contractors that do that stuff. Hey, somebody wants to make money finding me a deal, great. Yes, you're, you're, you're not using the highest and best use of you. The most valuable thing you have is you and your time, and you need to use your time uh, wisely. Texas's largest real estate investor association at TexasStarterKit.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, comment, share with other investors, or join us directly at TexasStarterKit.com.